Welcome to the Seminole Wars. In this podcast, we explore how the Seminole Wars came to be, how they were fought, and how they still resonate some two centuries later. I am your host, Patrick Swan, and our show is a production of the Seminole Wars Foundation, found online at www.seminolewars.us. We are recording today from the homestead of the Foundation in Bushnell, Florida. Thank you for listening. Hello and welcome. I am Stephen Rink, president of Seminole Wars Foundation. I'm hosting the Seminole Wars podcast today. I want to share with you an enticing chance to get back in shape after this lockdown, to honor our nation's veterans, and to learn a thing or two about our state's and nation's history. It is called the Major Dade Memorial March, and it's a virtual challenge that lets you walk the route of U.S. Army Major Francis L. Dade's column along the old Fort King Military Road. Participating is as simple as exercising aerobically anywhere and then entering your mileage into a dedicated web or phone app. The app tracks your progress on a mission map, tracing the original route from Fort Brooke in Tampa to Fort King in Ocala. In the past, some of the Wars Foundation members have physically walked this path up through Bushnell, some 65 miles north. That's the site of an 1835 battle between the Seminole Indians and Major Dade's U.S. Army Column in what would become the opening shots of the seven-year Second Seminole War. In 1963, 1988, and 2004, our Foundation members retraced Major Dade's path. These period-living historians donned replica sky-blue U.S. Army uniforms and equipage. They camped outside overnight, Dade Army rations, and they all stated how exhilarated they felt despite the arduous foot journey to have commemorated this historic march. One thing they discovered that the trail is almost as perilous today as it was back then. And no, this is not because they are present-day Seminole waiting in ambush along the way ready to give battle. (laughs) We're friends again. It is because the bulk of the route to Fort King passes first through busy downtown Tampa and then, more or less, along the most hectic portions of Route 301. When they made the trek, they stopped where the fighting took place at the Dade Battlefield of Stewart State Park in Bushnell. Like Major Dade's men before them, none of them completed the full course to Fort King, 102 miles total from Tampa, although many wanted to one day. That day has arrived for them and for you, our listeners. From the safety of your home or neighborhood, you can complete the march. With us today to explain everything you may want to know about this exciting opportunity is Patrick Swan, regular host of this podcast. The virtual challenge is his brainchild, and Patrick knows a few things about marching, having already walked coast to coast in England along the 84-mile path of Hadrian's Roman Wall, as well as from his many years in uniform as a soldier in the U.S. Army. So without further ado then, Patrick Swan, welcome to the Seminole Wars. Steve, I'm glad to be here. As we begin, registration is now open. And let me assure our listeners that I will get around before this podcast is over to letting you know how to sign up and what the entrance fees are, as well as the many benefits you'll get with your entrance fee. Stay with me. Patrick, what was the Fort King Military Road? The Fort King Military Road was a commercial and military route that goes through the heart of Central Florida. So if you wanted to transport goods or travel yourself or move anything, you'd want to take the Fort King Military Road. This may be a bit of an exaggeration, but it was the superhighway of its time. It was constructed in 1827. Major Dade was one of the army officers who was instrumental in laying it out. Part of the problem with the Fort King Road is that it was a U.S. military road that went smack dab in the middle through the Seminole Indians Reservation. 
Now, according to the treaty, and when things were going well, this was not a problem. The army would go down. They would not go out and bother the Indians, and the Indians would not come out and bother the soldiers. They would trade. They might socialize, but there were no hostilities there. As the army sent down an Indian agent and demanded that the Seminoles leave for the Oklahoma Territory, relations really did sour. And then traveling on the old Fort King military road became a little bit more dangerous and treacherous. Hence, couriers being killed along the way. Hence, Major Dade needing to take two full companies up to Fort King. Refresh our listeners' memory. Who was Major Dade, and why was he leading a column of soldiers along the Fort King military road? Major Dade led a column of about 108 soldiers and officers from Fort Brooke in Tampa along the old Fort King Road up to Fort King in Ocala. They were going to Fort King because they were trying to reinforce a understrength garrison. The garrison was understrength at Fort King because General Clinch, who had been commanding forces in Florida, had taken most of the soldiers out of it because he was going to meet the Seminole and give him a final ultimatum that they had to leave for the Oklahoma Territory, per federal legislation signed by Andrew Jackson. So Major Dade was to cover General Clinch's back by bringing an equivalent of two companies up to Fort King, and that would protect that key garrison that had supplied soldiers throughout Florida. How long would the march take? Well, Major Dade planned for about eight full days, and this was lugging a cannon with him across four rivers. So he'd planned to go from December 23rd to December 30th. He would know how long it took to traverse the full length of it because he'd been part of the original 1827 road building team that laid out the road. In this case, the opposite order from Fort King all the way down to Fort Brook. He traversed it in both directions countless times in the ensuing years previous to his 1835 expedition. For Major Dade and his men, the end of the line came on day six, which was short of the nine days that he had planned to reach his ultimate destination of Fort King. Amidst the pines and palmettos, a band of Seminole Indians caught his column unawares, and they fired the opening shots. These shots all but annihilated Dade's column. Only three soldiers emerged and successfully made it back to Fort Brook to tell the tale. The virtual challenge that we've set up commemorates his 1835 treks on 11 pivotal days from December 22, 1835 to January 1, 1836. December 22nd was the last day of preparations and the last day that Major Dade felt he could hold off before he felt he had to set out to carry out his orders to reinforce the isolated and beleaguered troops at Fort King. January 1st is the date that the last survivor of the Dade Massacre made it back to Fort Brooke to report. And this Veterans Day 2020, we're opening slots in what we're calling Laumer's Legion. Who was Frank Laumer? Laumer's Legion honors the late Frank Laumer, who died in 2019 at age 92 after working tirelessly for more than half a century to raise public awareness to commemorate the valor and fortitude of all sides in the combat that we call the Florida Seminole Wars in the 19th century. And I would add that Frank himself made this march, at least up to the Dade battlefield, several times in his life. What is a legion? The term legion many are probably familiar with. It describes a four to 6,000 man Roman army force. By naming our force, Lammers Legion, we honored the rugged soldiers who marched the length and breadth of that great empire on purpose-built roads, such as the Fort King Military Road was, although it's not a Roman road. And the term legion, in reference to the ill-fated Dade's March, recalls another historic ambush. 
that of Teutoburg Forest in AD 9, when a German surprise attack annihilated three entire Roman legions. As with Dade's command, only a few Roman soldiers straggled away to report the catastrophe to Roman authorities. As a recruit in Lammers Legion, we treat you as an honorary soldier or seminal, as if you were accompanying them in December 1835. No military gear or uniform is necessary. Thanks to satellite imagery, you will see where the soldiers stepped, ate, slept, and stopped along the way, and where they battled with the Seminole. Unlike Major Dade's actual troops, however, you alone carry on to complete the mission to Fort King. Ironically, that mission was to reinforce the isolated and undermanned Fort King Army garrison. You will be an army of one to do so. What happened on this trail? For those who want to know why this trail, well, in its heyday, there's an unceasing procession of military and commercial traffic by foot, horse, and wagon that flowed along this critical thoroughfare in the heart of Florida. On its pathways trod the booted feet of thousands of soldiers and the bare or moccasin-covered feet of Seminole, red and black. So what happened on this trail is the tragedy of war. Commerce and military resupply stopped abruptly, however, on December 28, 1835. That's when Seminole Indians, who were angered by U.S. government demands that they leave Florida, ambushed and all but wiped out Major Dade's army column advancing on the road near present-day Bushnell. This was one of the most comprehensive and humiliating defeats in U.S. Army history. These opening salvos initiated an epic seven-year struggle to settle the question of whether the Seminole Indians would remove or remain in Florida. When you take this virtual route, you'll be passing many wooden forts that had guarded this essential supply route. Before Dade's men set out, the Seminoles had burned the bridges, literally. And so Dade's men bringing a six-pound cannon with them, had to cross the river, knee-deep, waist-deep, pulling a cannon across from one side to the other along this military road. And Dade's men thought, this is a good place for an ambush. So they put up pickets and security to see if any Seminoles would attack. And this, ironically, may have led to their downfall because after they crossed the Four Rivers, which would be a natural place for an ambush, Major Dade didn't think that there'd be any more opportunities to be ambushed because most of the road was clear from the last river up to Fort King. He simply did not anticipate that the Seminole could hide very low on the ground or behind trees and surprise his troops in what looked like an open space. But they could. The Seminole were watching them along the route. Seminole knew that war was coming and they decided better that they make the first shot. What is the virtual challenge? Using the original Fort King Road route, you will virtually stride or run its 103-mile length from the former site of Fort Brooke in Tampa north to rebuilt Fort King in Ocala. The Major Dade Memorial March takes hikers on a virtual footpath along the full length of the old Fort King Military Road. This is similar to the Inca Trail in Peru or the Hadrian's Wall Path in England, where you walk or run a renowned route steeped in history. You're not actually going to walk the road from Tampa up to Ocala. What you will be doing is virtually going on it, which means any form of exercise that you're engaged in, you can enter it into an app and it will advance you on the map as if you were walking from Fort Brook to Fort King. Since one can no longer pace the road's exact path because of Florida's tremendous development in the last 185 years, a virtual trek affords you an unprecedented opportunity to do it from home. Nevertheless, if you're concerned about, well, I'm looking at a map 
and maps are boring. I want to walk this physically to see the terrain. Well, fortunately, besides the map, it gives you satellite views. So you could get down and see what does the actual terrain look like that you're walking on. Using a web or phone app, you exercise as you normally would, and then you simply enter your daily mileage to view your progress. What will entrants learn along the way? Entrants will learn the humanity behind this. It's not just a road. People built it. People have stories. The people who traveled on it, they have stories. Things happened on this road. Why do we remember them? Because they involved people. For instance, there was a mail courier, the private, who was traveling the route going from Fort King to Fort Brook on the road, and a Seminole had ambushed him. Later on, soldiers found the soldier dead. They realized the mail would not be delivered from that courier. They gave him a decent burial. And for a while, at least, the army stopped sending couriers with letters because it was too dangerous. It may be, as Herodotus says, that neither rain, nor heat, nor gloom of night will stop a mail carrier from his appointed duties, but Herodotus never met a determined seminal. What kind of milestones will marchers pass along the virtual route? There are a number, but first let me say that when you have passed a significant milestone along the route, we alert you about it by emailing a virtual postcard that's postmarked with the original date of the event or place referenced and a brief description of its significance. In contemplating how to adapt this for a Fort King Road march, I considered my positive experience with the Hadrian's Wall Virtual Challenge. And I was impressed with the company, myvirtualmission.com, and how they set all of it up. Besides providing a clear, understandable route on a clear, understandable map, they offered a quite creative way of conveying information by sending me virtual postcards whenever I'd pass a milestone along the route. These talked about the site that I had been to showed a picture on the postcard, and that it had additional information. As for the kinds, well, the Dade Battlefield. Today it's a historic state park. So you'll get a virtual postcard for that, you'll learn a little bit about the battle, and then you'll have some links to short videos and about the park itself. So you can actually visualize what the living historian reenactors were trying to recreate in the annual commemoration of that battle. That's usually in January. But there were also lighter moments. Another site that you may see is an orange grove. The story goes that Major Dade and his men stopped at a point on day one or day two. They ate some oranges that had been shipped in from Cuba and had arrived right before they set out. And if you believe the reports, the orange seeds they left behind sprouted and an orange grove grew up from it. It was an article in the Tampa newspaper. And so that's a milestone. When you pass that, you'll learn more of the details behind this. Ah, something historic happened here. This is how we got the orange groves in this spot of Florida. One that you could still see today. In this way, we're able to educate our hikers about the significance of the Fort King Historic Military Trail. Your virtual postcards will continue as you pass along additional milestones for the route that Major Dade and his column would have taken if they hadn't been stopped prematurely. Who sponsors this? So the Seminole Wars Foundation, which is also the producer of this podcast, has partnered with MyVirtualMission.com to produce this special march. What made this a good fit for the Seminole Wars Foundation to sponsor? Well, of course, this is a good fit for the Seminole Wars Foundation because this is what we do. We educate the public about the Seminole Wars. We sponsor programs. I mean, this podcast helps educate the public about the Seminole Wars. And so to tie what we're doing with my virtual mission so that people could exercise, which is a good thing, and learn more about the Seminole Wars is a natural fit. How did you go about 
setting this up. I contacted my virtual mission and I said, just finish the Hadrian's Wall virtual challenge and I want to adapt that for the Major Dade March. Can we do that? They said, knock yourselves out. They provide the platform and helped us with the design. They gave me the specs and guidance on how I could adapt their platform to the Dade's March. And I designed the map and educational virtual postcards that you receive when you pass significant milestones. What was your source for the map of the Fort King Road? And the source of the map for the virtual challenge, in modern times anyway, we have to go back to 1962. Frank Laumer, who is a founder of the Seminole Wars Foundation, had learned about the Dade Battle and learned about the Fort King Road back in 1962 when he stopped in to visit the Dade Battlefield State Historic Park in Bushnell. This began a lifelong interest in the Dade Battlefield, the Dade March, the Fort King Road, and the Seminole Wars in general. Well, in 1963, he got old survey maps and plotted a trek to be able to go from Tampa up to the Dade Battlefield State Historic Park. On the 25th anniversary of that notable trek, he organized a group of Seminole Wars Foundation members, and they did it again, wearing the sky blue uniforms of the 1835 U.S. Army soldier and carrying the equipment and same style rifles as the original column. But they only went as far as the Dade battlefield. It was still another 40 miles or so to get to Fort King, but Frank hadn't mapped that part out. And to be honest, the map that he had worked out from Tampa to Bushnell was more rudimentary. It wasn't exact and precise, as a trained surveyor might produce. Talked to a couple of living historian reenactors who said, yeah, they wish they had made the incomplete route. But while they marched from Tampa to Bushnell, they never completed it. Now, that was the inspiration for Jerry Morris to start his book, The Fort King Road, Then and Now, because he wanted to do it. And Frank Lommer said, but nobody's mapped it out. So Jerry said, well, I'll map it out then. Several years later, a lot of dogged determination on Jerry's part, a chance encounter with Jeff Huff, who brought special skills, and we got this book. Their book is packed with invaluable information, such as original survey maps from the 19th century, aerial photos from the 20th century, and geospatial information from the 21st century. They include GPS coordinates so you can plot out on your own maps at home precisely where any given point is along the route. Using this book, you'll be able to pinpoint where significant events took place along the Fort King Road during the Second Seminole War. The Fort King Road, then and now, is reportedly the best-selling book in the history of the Seminole Wars Foundation and has been called a must-have for anyone researching or just interested in Florida's Second Seminole War. Everyone who registers for this virtual challenge of walking the entire unbroken Fort King Road route qualifies to receive a copy of this book. How difficult was it to trace that route in the program? With this book, I didn't have to start from scratch. Nevertheless, I realized I would have to trace a route on a map that my virtual mission provided. I could not import any software with the map that was already digitized. Jeff Huff did yeoman's work digging up his old computer files. In fact, it was on a computer he hadn't opened up in years, but it still worked and it still held the files and he was able to take them out, put them on the thumb drive and send them over to me. So I was greatly disappointed when I presented it to the my virtual mission people and they said, oh, sorry, we can't import that. What I did then is I put that on my screen, what Jeff gave me. On the other part of my computer screen, I put the map and then I eyeballed it and followed it up to the different individual streets because we could get that level of detail. He had used the information in his book to design this computer file. Unfortunately, in this computer file anyway, 
his records only went up to Bushnell. So from Bushnell to Fort King, I traced using their book, page by page. How long did it take me? I thought it would take me days, but they had done all the heavy lifting. So all told, once I got into it, it took me two hours. And when I sent it back to Jeff and Jerry and said, hey guys, did I get this right? They said, spot on. Thus was I able to trace as accurately as possible the actual route from Tampa up to Ocala. It took Jerry and Jeff a number of years to produce this detailed and monumental book. It took me, really, no time at all. Jerry and Jeff, I salute you. Why would anyone want to walk the 103-mile route virtually? There's several reasons why you might want to do this. When you join Lammers Legion, you're not just shedding unwanted pounds and building your stamina, although any of us would like to do that. This gives you an opportunity to exercise your body and your brain. You're also honoring our nation's veterans, soldiers and Seminoles of the Second Florida War, and you're placing your virtual foot on a part of history. What better event than walking Dade's historic march where the opening shots of the Second Seminole War were fired? Just like going to Lexington in Massachusetts and Concord and standing on the grounds where we said the shot heard round the world. Major Dade being ambushed on that march was the, pardon the term, seminal event of the Second Seminole War. Why is it important to view the ground of a battle or route in person preferably, but virtually if not? And by virtually, I don't mean just looking at a static map drawing. One of the things I found indispensable is actually going to the site of historical events. My graduate area of emphasis was ancient and classical history, which means Egypt, Persia, Babylon or Mesopotamia, Greece, and Rome. Reading and researching is excellent, but they're not sufficient. I have found that to understand those civilizations better, I have needed to go out and walk the ground to see where things were and how certain battles or events may have taken place. For instance, I've been to the Plains of Marathon in Greece. And the aftermath of the Battle of Marathon is almost, and maybe more famous, than the actual battle itself. Because the Chronicles say, one of the men who'd fought at Marathon then ran to the city of Athens to let them know that the Persians had gone back on their ships and were heading for Athens. But he wanted them to know they had won the battle against the Persians. He ran, well, how far did he run from Marathon? 26 miles, and reportedly arrived into the chamber of the democracy, totally exhausted, with only enough strength to shout out, Nike, meaning victory, and then collapsed and died. If you've been to hilly Greece, you know that was quite an accomplishment to do that especially after just fighting a battle. But that, as we say, is only the half of it, because on the heels of this runner was the entire Greek army of hoplites. They knew that if the Persians disembarked at the port of Piraeus and marched on Athens, the city was largely undefended. So they too, after fighting a battle, and with full combat gear on, double-timed the 26 miles to Athens. They knew that the ships would take a certain amount of time uh, several hours before they could reach the port of Piraeus, and they used that to their advantage. They didn't stop to celebrate. They didn't stop to grab a bite to eat. They just got on the road and moved. So the entire Greek army shows up and lines the port of Piraeus. The Persians arrive and see this Greek army facing them and decided they'd had enough, and they turned their ships around and headed back to Persia. These Greeks were a hardy people. And when you study the Seminole Wars and you see how defiant and hardy the Seminole are, you can understand how they were able to hold the U.S. Army off for seven years until the Army decided to call it a truce 
and go home. I did walk the train at Marathon, although I didn't get involved in a foot race of 26 miles. However, I had taken a ferry from that port over to the port of Piraeus going to Athens, and so I recognized the distance involved. And so I was quite impressed with what the Greek army had been able to do. Definitely made the history come alive for me. If you can walk the walk of previous people, you can learn a great deal. Yes, we read books. We complement that by going to museums and looking at artifacts and so forth. But the best thing of all is to go to the site because by going to the site, one can see, even if they're just archeological ruins, the area where a historical event took place. Throughout history, when we read accounts of soldiers marching rapidly to relieve other soldiers who are under attack or to take the attack to the enemy, we often pay it no mind. Oh yes, they went 30 miles three days in a row. Until you've actually walked 30 miles three days in a row, you have no idea what you're talking about, especially when you're carrying gear with you. Hadrian's Wall was one of those type examples because it had various gates and they had various forts. The wall itself was not heavily manned, but the roads were set up so that one could relieve a gate that was under assault with a substantial rapid reaction team. We can see examples of this in the Seminole War, or in perhaps some ways, the antithesis of it. There was no rapid response team that could aid Major Dade's column when it was being annihilated on December 28, 1835. General Gaines was nearly wiped out as well at Camp Izzard. Ultimately, General Clinch was able to break free from General Scott and come down to relieve him. And so armed with the knowledge that I had gained from going to Marathon, and envisioning how long that 26 miles was to get to Athens, I put that in the back of my mind against the day when I might find something similar that I could actually walk. In my historical reading, I learned about Roman Hadrian's Wall, and a light bulb went on in my head. First it was, I'm going to go see that someday. And then it was, I'm going to go walk that someday. I was intrigued that in England, one, Roman Hadrian's Wall stretched from coast to coast, and two, there was still enough of it left that people could hike it. And I'd visited England several times and gone on some day tours, and we had made pit stops at Hadrian's Wall. So after having visited Hadrian's Wall and walking a very minuscule portion of it as a tourist, I thought, you know what, one day I'm going to come back and I'm going to walk this wall. Because it's my sincere belief, based on years of experience and knowledge, that there is rarely a substitute for being able to walk the terrain. If you want to truly understand an area that you're reading about. And in 2016, that's what I did. I took some time off from work. I caught the red eye from the United States. I flew into London, went to the Museum of the City of London to look at some Roman artifacts from what was then called Londinium, went to the British Museum and looked at some of the artifacts that had been recovered from the Roman fort at Vindolanda, which is right off Roman Hadrian's Wall. I caught a train up to Carlisle on the western side of England. On Saturday morning, I took a bus to the coast and I set out from what's called Bonus on Solway and walked the 12 to 15 miles back to Carlisle en route to my ultimate destination called Wall's End near England's eastern coast just past Newcastle. I had a 25-pound backpack that included a three-liter water reservoir, and I decided I was going to see how it felt to walk 10 to 12 miles a day in fairly good weather along such a route and how I might hold up so that perhaps I could envision how a soldier would have held up in Roman times. Now, most people go in the opposite direction, east to west, but I learned in doing research that if I went from west to east, I would have the wind at my back. And in rainy England, that's a 
big benefit when you're walking an 84 mile trek and it did rain and all that rain was to my back not in my face the next morning i continued on 12 to 15 miles a day so i finished that in one week that's the goal i set for myself i figured out how many miles i could make each day booked a room at an inn so i didn't arrive there and find out well you know we're all booked Walk back five miles and catch the next open hotel or bed and breakfast. And with that, it led to my determination. No matter how tired I was, no matter how late it was, at the end of the day, if I kept going, there was a warm bed waiting for me. An average of 12 to 15 miles a day, and I'm done. Wall's end. Seven days. A Saturday through a Friday. 84 miles, coast to coast, to walk the complete Hadrian's Wall. What are some of the things I learned? Marching even 12 to 15 miles a day with a heavy backpack on is tough. I was wiped out at the end of every day. I was able to scrounge out some dinner meal at the hotel restaurant, and then by 7 or 8 in the evening, I was out. And I didn't move until maybe sometime 7 or 8 the next morning when I had to get up and pull my aching, wearing bones out of bed, put my gear back on, and face another day of 12 to 15 miles hiking along the wall. If you have anything other than level terrain, your body's going to pay for it. If you have to cross any obstacles like rivers, your body's going to pay for it. If you have to cross hills in rapid succession, your body's going to pay for it. If you look at a distance on a map and it seems fairly straightforward, just remember it's not. Check out the terrain readings. Look at the time of the year when troops historically were moving to a historical event. Was the, was the height of summer? You're going to have heat casualties. If it was the winter, you're going to have cold weather casualties. The troops are going to suffer foot problems. There may be disease, probably unsanitary conditions. The water you drink may not be pure. The Prussian military theorist Karl von Clausewitz said, In war, everything is simple, but the simplest things are really hard to do. I'm paraphrasing. This is a guy who went out on military campaigns. He knew what he was talking about. Again, this is indispensable for someone who's studying war and someone who's studying the Seminole Wars understanding that troops were not ferried anywhere in nice cargo trucks or buses or for the most part not on horses they had to walk everywhere they went a soldier can only march so many miles a day for so many days in a row before he reaches the point of exhaustion and what good is it for a soldier to march that distance if he arrives at a battle and he is so wasted and jaded that he cannot even perform up to standards to win the battle. You can read about this in books, but until you've actually tried to do some facsimile of it, you never quite appreciate the difficulties. Now, I've read about General Washington in the American Revolution and the 10 days that saved America, which was the battles of Trenton and Princeton. And he pushed his troops very, very hard. His troops responded. We know how he crossed the Delaware and gave battle troops without any sleep and after they won the battle they turned around and went back across the Delaware to Pennsylvania. He later went to Princeton and marched his men ragged and then when it looked like the British were about to surround him outside of Trenton he marched his troops around the British and continued on the Princeton where he gave battle. Now why do I belabor this point? Well it is because after Princeton Washington found himself on the horns of a dilemma. In front of him was a British supply wagon train that had the complete British treasury of North America heading frantically down the New Jersey roads to get to a ferry and cross over to New York City. If he could seize that treasury he might have been able to end the war right there and then. 
I've read that story and I say, what if, couldn't he just push his men just a little bit further, just a little bit more? Washington knew his men had given every last ounce of dedication that they could and they were not gonna be able to catch that supply train and capture that gold. So he turned the men in a different direction and they wintered the rest of the season in Morristown, New Jersey, where they licked their wounds and Washington reset his forces. I was on a military assignment in Kosovo and they had a 15 kilometer charitable road march with full backpack scheduled to help wounded veterans in one of the Scandinavian countries. It's totally optional. I'd gotten there late and I hadn't had any training up for it, so I just walked it with folks instead of carrying the backpack. They said, well, you won't get a medal at the end. I said, that's okay. Anyway, this was in winter and it was snow and ice everywhere. So it was very likely to slip on the road. So you would go just off the paved road and that was covered in muck and mud and it was like walking through uh, wet cement. I did 10 kilometers of that without a backpack. Several hours later, I came back to the base, short of getting the 15, but I had done a full circuit from the base and I said, okay, I'm good here. And when I completed that, I had the greatest sympathy for Washington's men because they did much more than I did and they were carrying backpacks and they were up all night for what he required of them and then to go into battle. I don't have any problems with him taking his men and wintering in Morristown, New Jersey to reset and letting that convoy of the British Treasury get away. When you read about that in a book, first-hand knowledge of how hard it is, and this was in the dead of winter with ice and snow everywhere. When you read about that in a book and you haven't done those types of things, you do not have an appreciation and you can second guess Washington and say, why couldn't he just do this? Why couldn't he just push those troops? He knew his men, he'd asked so much, they'd come through for him and he just knew this was a wagon train too far. In a way, it probably wasn't even much of a temptation because he knew his men just couldn't do it. And he was not gonna destroy his army in order to catch a wagon train. This is the benefit of going to walk terrain and see sights and feel how hard it is on the body to try to move as a soldier. Now, I do wanna interject something here. We have an upcoming podcast with Jesse Marshall where he talks about Private John Thomas. John Thomas survived the Dade Battle one of only three soldiers who actually survived and made it back to Fort Brooke. But there was controversy because he arrived on December 29th to Fort Brooke, which would have given him, oh, 24 to 30 hours to have gotten there from the Dade battlefield, which was 60 to 65 miles away. At the time, nobody questioned whether Private Thomas had made the distance or not. They just wrote down the information and went on from there. But in modern times, some historians have questioned whether he actually had been at the battle and said he just couldn't do that. From today's viewpoint, where we get in the car to drive a block to go into a convenience store, yes, I get that. Could he have done that? We did the math and said, well, if you did two miles an hour, 60 miles over 30 hours, yeah, even at just two miles an hour, he could have done that. And there were reports that said when he arrived, he was thoroughly jaded. And jaded in that time did not mean, well, he's seen it all, he's just jaded to it. It meant he was on the point of total exhaustion. Can we appreciate having moved that type of distance in that amount of time? The day I started my Hadrian's Wall walk, I banged my knee on a metal stanchion outside a building. And then I still had to walk 13 miles. Oh my word, that was tough. Every night when I got back to the hotel, whatever hotel it was I was staying, I was on the point of exhaustion. In fact, I looked so bad going up to my room in one hotel 
After I'd changed and showered and gone down to get some dinner, the bartender came over and brought me a beer. And I said, I didn't order a beer. And he said, no, no, the gentleman over here did. He said his wife saw you and she said, that man needs a beer. Yes, several. And after that, I slept like the dead. I can understand how one would be on the point of exhaustion. And in my case, it was only 14 to 15 miles with a backpack on. In Private Thomas's case, he had a thigh injury. He must have been in some amount of pain as well. And he went a longer distance than I did. On the other hand, I'm sure he was highly motivated to get back to Fort Brooke because he wouldn't want to rest in Indian country after a annihilating battle like he had just witnessed. I could understand what Private Thomas was going through and how jaded he would have been. Let's look at the Greek hoplites. Pheidippides, who ran what we call today the marathon and then died after uttering the words victory, okay, but even if you're just marching at double time, that's quite a feat, thinking of the Greek army going back to Athens to reface the Persians. So when you can go out to these historical events and then apply it to something that's more contemporary, and I know it's 185 years since the Dade battle, but that's more contemporary than Washington's march through New Jersey and, of course, the Greek hoplites 2,500 years ago. And we can look at that and help it to inform us and help us to interpret whether somebody like Private John Thomas could actually move from Bushnell down to Tampa in 30 hours or so to alert the post that the Dade Column had been wiped out. This gives us some ability to do that. At least we can say it's credible. It's possible he could have done it. When it comes to the virtual challenge and walking this route, you don't know how much you can do until you actually push yourself to do it. When I walked the length of Hadrian's Wall Path, all right, I did it every day, and I didn't really think about how far I was going. Today, when I look back at the map, I say, holy cow, I walked the length of Hadrian's Wall. I look at this map, I walked the neck of England. You look at the island of Britain, and you look at the neck, you say, I walk that. Wow. I think our listeners who take the virtual challenge will have a similar feeling when they get to Fort King after leaving from Fort Brooke and say, I just walked 103 miles. How about that? I trekked the entire unbroken Fort King Road. Virtually, anyway. And one of the neat things about being able to say that is no traffic and no blisters. While a couple of our Seminole War Foundation members have actually walked the route from Tampa up to Bushnell, it was quite treacherous for them. There's private property, and you can't walk over that. And in 2004, at least, they traced the route by walking on the shoulder on Route 301. Well, traffic can get fairly fast on that road, and they had quite a few close calls, including a gravel truck getting in an accident right in front of them and dumping its load right at their feet. One of our marchers, Ross Lamoureux, who today is the president of the Dade Battlefield Society, went out and then directed traffic to go around this accident spot. Jesse Marshall, who's podcasted with us, was also on that trek in 2004. And the problem for him was when they reached the Dade Battlefield State Historic Park and were ready to do the January reenactment, his feet were so blistered that he couldn't do it. He had to just watch. Even though he'd done this march to get up there to get into the battle, he wasn't able to. So when you do this road, this virtual march, you don't encounter any of that. The worst you'll probably have as a problem is if you turn the treadmill on too fast and you fall off. And that's not likely either. Why did you think Major Dade's 1835 march would be suitable? Major Dade's march is most suitable. One, because of the distance. When you look at the planned route from Fort Brook to Fort King of Major Dade, which was about 100, 203 miles, people could do that. 
They could do Hadrian's Wall for 84 miles. They could do this. In fact, this was the one aspect of the Seminole Wars that I most wanted to personally try my feet out on, walking Dade's March from Fort Brooke in Tampa, not just to Bushnell, where the Dade battle occurred with the Seminole, but to continue on and complete the march up to Fort King in Ocala. And a march is a march, a run is a run, a walk is a walk. There's no reason that we today can't emulate what soldiers were doing in 1835 in Florida. It seemed like a natural fit, and it didn't have the hills that England had that whipped my butt. Florida's fairly flat. Now, I get it. We're doing this virtually, so we're not actually going up on hills and so forth. Someone doing this Hadrian's Wall path by walking around their neighborhood might feel like they'd have to go up some amount of hills so that they could simulate actually being out there in England. No, you don't have to do that. Likewise, to try to add some realism to the virtual march, we don't recommend that you try to simulate or emulate conditions of 1835. When you run around the neighborhood, if you get on the cross trainer or treadmill, we don't recommend that you open the window so mosquitoes can get in. We don't recommend that you turn off the air conditioning because they didn't have air conditioning back then. We don't recommend that you drink rancid water. Nope, don't need to do that. You can do it from the comfort of your home and drink fresh water. Do you need to wear a military uniform with all the gear to your exercise routine? This is the Fort King Military Road, and you will be shadowing Major Dade's army column. However, I must assure you that you don't have to wear a military uniform while you're virtually walking this route. You don't need to go to an army surplus store and buy what they have and a bunch of gear and put it on and get on your treadmill and start walking like a soldier. It's okay. You're virtually doing it. There's no stolen honor here. How long will the march take? For this mission, you can take as long as you like. But if you want to earn the Certificate of Completion at Trail's End and its assorted benefits, you must complete the mission within 90 days of our launch date. If you put that into perspective, you only need to progress roughly one mile and a few extra steps per day to reach your Fort King destination. You can do this. One of the great things about this as a virtual program is you don't have to assemble and everyone start at the same time in the same place, like, say, the New York Marathon, when it's actually done physically. You can do this any time of any day that you have an opportunity, and then you just add the information in. You can share your progress, and you can chat with other people who are doing this march. Can they share their progress on social media? For those who are on Facebook or Twitter or other types of social media, you'll be pleased to know that you can share your progress on those platforms. Can they plug in their progress with Fitbit and other exercise devices? If you use a fitness device like a Fitbit, you can plug that in and use that to interact with the web and app program that we have from My Virtual Mission. When does the mission start? We launched the mission formally on December 22nd. That's the day in 1835 when Major Dade finished staging his troops for their movement. December 23rd is when they actually set out. Where do I sign up? Just visit our website, SeminoleWars.us. There'll be information and then there'll be links to the MyVirtualMission.com website with instructions. Registration opens November 11th, 2020. That's Veterans Day. How much does it cost to participate? Because this is not a fundraising activity per se, we've set a very reasonable price of $25. Keep in mind that as part of that fee, we pay the host, myvirtualmission.com, for giving us the platform to use. Our key objective is generating awareness among the general public about the Seminole Wars. 
By charging a fee, we believe that entrants will thus have a reason to stay with us through the whole trail to learn more about aspects of the Seminole Wars that occurred along the Fort King Military Road and nearby. And they will have skin in the game because by paying a fee, they will be motivated to keep going and to finish the route so they can see value for their money. What will participants receive as part of their entry fee? The first thing you will receive is Jerry Morris and Jeff Huff's book, The Fort King Road, Then and Now. That book retails for $19.95, and you'll receive it complimentary with your entry fee when you register for this virtual challenge. When you finish, you will get a certificate of completion. We will email you an official Summon Wars Foundation certificate of completion signed by our foundation president, Stephen Rink. This entitles you to a special digital publication Along the Fort King Road, Seminole Wars podcast transcripts about the Fort King Road and what happened on it. It's a handy way to have in one place everything our various guests have said in our podcasts on the Fort King Road. And about the forts, about marching, about reenacting, all in one digital publication. So you have a nice going away present that you can refer to that gives you more of the nitty gritty on what happened on the Fort King Road. We'll be publishing this in early 2021. When you sign up, you'll have an opportunity to give us your name that will go on the certificate of completion and your address so we can mail the Fort King Road then and now book to you. We believe, though, our most valuable offering is a complimentary one-year membership in the Seminole Wars Foundation, which is a $25 value. Your entry fee essentially pays for that one-year membership. The foundation holds two membership meetings a year, usually in the spring and fall, when the Wooflu is not affecting us. Generally, we have one at our headquarters here in Bushnell, Florida, and the other we have at a historic site, park, or museum somewhere in Florida, and you'll be invited to that as a member in good standing. Past venues have included a boat trip to Camp Izzard, a reenactment of the Fort Dade capitulation, visits to the Seminole War Memorial at the National Cemetery in St. Francis Barracks in St. Augustine, to the Tampa Bay History Center, Fort Foster, and the Dade Battlefield. Meetings are a good opportunity to make contact and ask questions, which open up all sorts of unexpected possibilities. For those who are looking to do research on the Seminole Wars, the headquarters in Bushnell, Florida, has an unmatched collection on the Seminole Wars. We have every Florida Historical Quarterly article ever written that is anyway tangentially related to the Seminole Wars. We have an unmatched collection of additional articles from other journals and magazines and publications related to the Seminole Wars. We have a full library full of books related to the Seminole Wars. And we have Frank Laumer's research notes for the books that he wrote and magazine articles that he penned. These were acquired over nearly 60 years. In addition, when you're doing research and you have a question, we have a, we have a large cadre of living historians who've been studying this field for more than 20 or 30 years. Some of these are academics, some are autodidacts, but they're all people who are well-versed in the Seminole Wars. And if you have a question and you're not really sure what the answer is, you can write it through us as a member and we'll work to get that answer for you. You'll get privileged access to us as a member. Want to know what it's like to do that march physically yourself? Well, we've got members who've done it who can tell you what it felt like and what they learned from it. Want to know what the army ate on the march? We've got a member who wrote the book, An Army Moves on Its Stomach, all about the rations that soldiers ate, both at the forts and while they were on the move. How are you publicizing this? We're opening registration on Veterans Day. We have a flyer that we've produced, and that provides the basic information that you need to get into this. 
Of course, we're doing this podcast, so this is one way that we're publicizing this. And, and then all the social media outlets that we use, such as Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, things of that nature. And then we're confident that when we're up at the various providers that host our podcasts, that people will spread the word. We're counting on word of mouth, but we are going to drop the flyer to universities and to military schools. One, we have military people down at Tampa at Central Command, Special Operations Command, and they're just on the McDill Air Force Base. And they, like anyone else, know they need to exercise. And this might give them a good excuse because it's military-related in that sense. We have places like West Point, which has ties to the Second Seminole War because many of their trained officers serve down here. And the U.S. Army War College, which trains strategists. And they study the Seminole Wars to see what the Army got right and mostly what the Army got wrong in trying to wage this. There's something called military staff rides. U.S. Central Command from McDill and the Joint Forces Staff College from Norfolk, Virginia, have come down to the Dade Battlefield to study the terrain and to train their officers on how to deal with asymmetric warfare. So we'll be notifying them and offering the ability for their students to actually sign up and be part of this. We could get a lot of interest from folks who would like to exercise, who know they need to exercise, and yet haven't exercised because of one dang reason or another. What do you hope participants will get out of this opportunity when they have completed the march? We hope that any of the participants in this virtual march will have used it productively to get back in shape, even just to build stamina, hopefully lose some weight, and maybe start a regular habit. But I personally hope that they come away from this with a greater understanding and appreciation for the Seminole Wars in Florida. It was a complicated and tragic undertaking. It never should have happened, as one person said at the time, it was a reckless waste of blood and treasure. We can learn from that. We can avoid such types of mistakes in the future. What does the Seminole Wars Foundation hope to get out of this? The Seminole Wars Foundation wants to get out of this the fact that more Floridians know about this element of Florida's past. And more Americans know about it because this is the Forgotten War. Oh, I thought that was the Korean War. Yes, the Korean War is forgotten. But this one's really forgotten because if you read books, we go from the Revolution to the War of 1812 to the Mexican War and then the Civil War. But wait, this was the longest Indian War in American history. It lasted seven years, plus 30 to 40 million dollars, which was really big bucks back then. More than a thousand soldiers died in the Second Seminole War, and thousands of an army that was only seven or eight thousand strong in its entirety. Most regular soldiers and officers rotated down to Florida during its long duration. And yet, it might get a line or two in a history book. So the Seminole Wars Foundation would like more people to know about this war and know that we don't jump from the War of 1812 to the Mexican War. This was the significant war in the United States between those two wars. And Florida has many sites where major battles were held and people can go visit them and see living historians reenact those battles. But if they don't know about it, they don't know to go out to these places. So things like this podcast and this virtual march, we in the foundation hope it will raise such awareness that people want to get out, go to the parks, see where these battle sites are, touch some of Florida's history. What is the Seminole Wars Foundation? Our foundation is a nonprofit one dedicated to the preservation, education, and research of the Seminole Wars. What does the Seminole Wars Foundation intend to do with the proceeds? The bulk of the entry fees will help the Seminole Wars Foundation continuing in these kinds of missions and expand where possible. One of those missions is preservation. There was a fort 
named appropriately Fort Dade for Major Dade, who led the column and who was the first to die in the battle when the Seminoles attacked. And so there's land where the original Fort Dade constructed after this, of course, and the parcel of land came open and the Seminole Wars Foundation purchased the land. Those who've listened to my podcasts know that Ben DiBiase has talked about the Florida Historical Society and how it has a treasure trove of records from Fort Dade. The mundane things, such as supply issue, sick call notices, basically the stuff of daily life. But if nobody writes that down in a memoir, we've lost that. Instead, the Florida Historical Society has that information. Now, let's say you're doing research. You've seen these receipts and these account books and these day books, but you'd like to go to the actual spot of Fort Day to see what was it like there. What was it near? Why was it located where it was? Well, we own the property and a researcher who'd like to go there, we can facilitate them getting out to see it. And we also publish. There's memoirs from participants in the Seminole Wars that were long out of print. We've picked them up and printed them again. And then we have original authors like John and Mary Lou Missile, who've written most recently on the nonfiction side, The Seminole Struggle, about the three Seminole Wars that took place in the 1900s. They've also just published a new historical novel, co-written with the late Willie Johns, the former Chief Justice of the Seminole Tribe of Florida. That novel of the Seminole Wars is called What We Have Endured, and it tells the story of the war through the eyes of a Seminole. And this is a key thing, and the Foundation has helped to facilitate this throughout Florida is, of course, we had these wars of Indian removal, so naturally, the Seminoles, even up to today, are kind of wary of outsiders coming, snooping around, wanting to be their friends. And so the Seminole Wars Foundation is able to facilitate interaction with Seminoles. In addition to preservation and publication, we're into education. We're educating the public on what the Seminole Wars were. Sometimes we do it with sponsorship of battle reenactments. We do it with this podcast and going out to schools and so forth. And we do it with a convocation of Seminole War historians. When we sponsor convocations of Seminole War historians and ask for people to present, we've asked Seminoles to do so. This podcast has had Brian and Pedro Zapeta on to talk about Seminole culture, Seminole lifestyle. And while we may talk about the first, second, or third Seminole Wars, to the Seminole, it's one long Seminole War. What plans do you have to expand this to other trails in Florida that are related to the Seminole Wars for future virtual challenges? Well, we're going to look at how well we do with this, and then we may expand it. Because we've got Seminole Wars Foundation members, and we've got scholars and enthusiasts of the Seminole Wars throughout Florida. So, South Florida, there may be a trail that people would want to virtually walk. In the Panhandle, there may be some trails that people want to virtually walk. And we'll be happy to partner with those folks and give them all the lessons and expertise that we've learned working with myvirtualmission.com to set up that type of virtual challenge for them. Patrick Swan, thanks for telling us about the Major Day Virtual March Challenge, and thank you for joining us for the Seminole Wars. Steve, thanks for guest hosting this week and giving me the opportunity to sit in the hot seat and field questions of me instead of me always asking them of our guests and for giving me the opportunity to talk about this virtual challenge. I'm so excited about this. I'm going to walk it. I'm not just producing it. I'm not just working to craft the route. I'll be out there with everybody else doing my, in my case, two miles a day until I reach Fort King. See everybody out there on the trail, virtually. If you enjoyed this show, please take a moment to like us on Facebook at Seminole Wars Foundation. 
leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast provider. Your reviews and comments help new listeners discover us and help us keep the show going. Visit our website at www.sumnawars.us for blogs, articles, news, books, events, membership information, and how to subscribe to this podcast. We'll be back soon with a new episode of the Seminole Wars Podcast. The Seminole Wars Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to preservation, education, and publication of Seminole Wars history throughout the state of Florida. This podcast is copyrighted, the Seminole Wars Podcast 2020, all rights reserved. Front bumper music, The Devil's Garden, Roastem, provided by kind permission of Reedy Youngman. Back bumper music, Second Seminole Win, by Jed Merrim and Ricky Pittman, courtesy of Ricky Pittman, all rights reserved.